Holy Spirit, come now, Lord, and give your church a gift this evening. Lord, we pray that you would come and give us open hearts to, to enter into the mystery of God putting on human flesh and coming among us as Jesus of Nazareth. Lord, this is, these are things too great for us to comprehend. And so, Lord, would you please open our hearts and give us a deep perception. And, Lord, we pray that the meditations of all our hearts and the words of me as the preacher of the gospel this evening would be acceptable to you and we'd be blessed by you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So many things to be thankful for uh, this Christmas. Body heat comes to mind. Body heat in a, in a crowd of people. Yes, thank you for raising the temperature just a little bit. Uh, so thankful for us having power this evening. I know that some of you are still without power, and uh, we're praying for you. And uh, make sure you leave some water dripping in the house so those pipes don't freeze up. Things to think about. You know, one of the things that you notice when you worship in a church like Christ Church, a church that has a liturgy that's rooted in the ancient Christian tradition, is that it's not, it's a lot, there are a lot of movements happening all the time. There's a lot of movement going on in the service. You know, we have this procession coming in. It's like a, a parade at the beginning of the service. And then there's a parade going out for the gospel reading. There'll be a parade again at the end of the service. There's a lot of movement. Some people bow when the cross goes by, and some people kneel. Some people raise their hands in prayer. You know, for most of these things, there are not any rules for this. These are just uh, customs. They're customs that people adopt as a means of expressing worship, not just in their hearts, but with their whole being, with their bodies as well. And one custom happens for a lot of people at what's called the Nicene Creed, which is that statement of faith that follows the sermon. And in the Nicene Creed, we say, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and was incarnate from, I say that, I know some people say it's incarnate, is that right? But I say pulpit, guitar, incarnate, acorns, I'm sorry, that's pecans, I do say pecans. So... And, and so now I've ruined the Nicene Creed for everybody, haven't I? So for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. And at that moment, when we say that God himself was made man, when we confess the mystery, this unfathomable truth of the incarnation, many people will bow their heads out of sheer amazement and wonder that God would do such a thing. We just bow our heads, we're just flabbergasted that God would do that. You know, way back in, in ancient times, I want you to think way back into uh, ancient prehistory, yes, the mid-1990s, the mid-1990s, uh, Joan Osborne released a song that, that asked the question, what if God was one of us? Remember that? What if God was one of, or maybe you weren't in your emo stage at that time, but there was a lot of that going on. Uh, and then also in that song is, if God had a face, what would it look like? Well, in the Nicene Creed, some of us bow our heads in utter amazement because God has indeed become one of us. And his face is the face of a Mediterranean Jewish boy wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. J.I. Packer has said, the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. And that's why we celebrate at Christmas time. God became one of us. God himself was willing to leave the glory of heaven to get into the stench and the mire of human existence. And why would God do such a thing? 
Well, here's the answer. Why, here's why we celebrate at Christmas. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is so important, this Christmas Eve. God will stop at nothing to bring us into a loving relationship with himself. God will stop at nothing to bring us into a loving relationship with himself. There is no sacrifice so great that God would not make it in order to love you and to be with you. That's the gospel. And I love it that at Christmas time, this time of year, we focus on feasting and abundance. Tonight, we begin the 12 days of the feast of Christmas. We have 12 days of feasting. I don't care about that Adam Sandler song. He got it wrong. You don't even remember that, do you? That's like a pop culture reference from the early 2000s, I guess. Maybe the 90s, I don't know. He was talking about, you know, we got so many nights for Hanukkah. No, we got 12 days for Christmas. And there is mandatory merriment on every single one of those days. And if we send out the merriment police, we want to make sure we find you rejoicing in your home, feasting and celebrating for all 12 days of Christmas. But the only reason that we can feast, the only reason we experience joy and abundance is because of God's astonishing sacrifice when he became one of us as a human baby. You know, I, I, I look, right now at Christ Church, we are in the middle of a, uh, of, of a flood of, uh, of babies. They're everywhere. Uh, there's a lot of ba- brand new babies. They're brand new babies, fresh babies tonight, right here. And there'll be fresh babies next week, too, at Christ Church. And when you look at a child and imagine that child you're holding in your arm, the child that you may hear making a little noise in the back of the church tonight, that was Jesus. He came just like that. That's crazy. That God would say, I'm going to become first an embryo inside of the Virgin Mary and then be born into this world as a helpless, vulnerable baby. Wow, that's amazing. God's astonishing sacrifice is that he would become such a child. You know, that's what Luke is telling us. But not just in his Christmas story that we heard tonight. Here is a Christmas treasure for all of us. Here's a present for us this evening. You need to pay attention to this part because the story of Jesus' self-sacrificing birth is directly linked to Jesus' saving, self-sacrificing death. God himself makes the history of Jesus' birth rhyme with the history of Jesus' death. When the Holy Spirit inspired the gospel writer Luke to point out the symmetry between Jesus' birth and death and resurrection, he wanted to reveal something to us. God wants us to notice something in these texts tonight. Let me show you what I'm talking about real quickly. Listen to this familiar verse we just heard about in uh, Luke's uh, gospel account of the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Listen to this again. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, please listen. This is, listen to this verse. It's about the death of Jesus, and it's also from Luke's gospel. It's Luke chapter 23, verse 53. Listen to this. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. Now, I want you to listen to this, brothers and sisters. This is a critical point. In Luke, Jesus is wrapped in linen clothes at the beginning and the end of his life. 
Jesus is wrapped in swaddling clothes at the beginning and the end of his life. In Luke, Jesus is laid in a manger for his crib. And, you know, we think of a manger as being a wooden feed trough, but it is most likely it was a basin hollowed out of a stone shelf. And at his death, Jesus is laid in a stone tomb. He's laid in a stone manger at his birth, a stone tomb in his death. And so the cradle points to the grave. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is conceived in Mary's virgin womb. At the end of his life, he is placed in a virgin tomb, a tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Or as biblical scholar Alistair Roberts has said, Jesus was born of a virgin's womb, of a woman who had lain with no man. Jesus was buried in a virgin tomb, a grave in which no man had lain. The sacrifice of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, is directly connected to the sacrifice of the death of Jesus. Now, here's why this is important. This is why this matters to us this Christmas Eve. Listen, God loves you infinitely, and he has sacrificed infinitely for you. God will do whatever he has to do in order to come to us and bring us to himself. See how low the Almighty has gone for you. Look at that baby that might be next to you or as you leave the service this evening, you get, get a glimpse of that child. Think about how low God, Almighty God was willing to go to be with us. The baby born from the virgin womb was wrapped in linen and lain in a stone manger, and it declares his birth. The linen-wrapped body of Jesus laid in a stone virgin tomb points to his resurrection and a new birth. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus Christ is called the firstborn. Listen to that. The firstborn from the dead. In his resurrection account in Colossians, birth and death are joined together. The firstborn from the dead. So Jesus is, in a sense, born again from the tomb. Here's the application for us tonight. This is where we bring it to a close. Jesus is raised to new life in the resurrection, so that if we accept him, if we will turn away from self-directed living and receive Jesus Christ into our lives, we can have a radically new existence. We, too, can be born anew. Through Jesus, we can be released from the power of all our past failures and all of our besetting sins. We can be born again, and the grave no longer has the last word in our lives. And that's what God offers us this Christmas. And with that in mind, I can't think of a better concluding prayer than this one. And I hope you will sing this prayer at some point this Christmas season. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.